Sure, sure. Well, um, the short answer is that's classified. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> the long Crap. answer is, well, not so much. I can talk about it. But um, so that was at the Manchester Institute of Health and Performance cool. in Manchester, UK. And uh, they have some super awesome facilities. And what that room was is they have a, a massive treadmill. It's like uh, at least four or five feet wide and probably 12 plus feet long. And it has a, a, a harness system. So somebody can ride a bike on it. You can set the grade, the speed, and uh, they have a harness so that like they're not going to fly off their bike or something <laughs> like that. You can take them to max or, or whatever you want to do. Welcome back to The Training Edge. This episode is part two of my coaching roundtable with Joseph Cavaretta. Check out part one if you have not already. On these roundtables, I ask other coaches on the podcast to chat a wide array of coaching subjects. We go back and forth asking each other different questions and just in general chat on how we approach making our athletes better. This is another good one and I hope you all enjoy. Cool. That's. I mean, all this stuff is super fascinating. I know we're getting really geeky on this stuff. Um, how about lifting? I'm really curious what the, the tools and techniques that you can use. Um, one of the things I really struggle with, um, with having my athletes do strength work is the ability to incorporate technique, um, as a virtual coach. So what about that side, the technology use? Yeah, I think, um, I think measuring the you know, having more ability to measure specific characteristics when you're doing your, your main sport, whether it's on the bike or running, um, is that's going to help us better identify our actual goals for the gym there. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of strength work for endurance athletes. I, I, I've done a lot of strength coaching for endurance athletes in the past. I definitely see the benefit. I, I try to get everybody I work with on that train. Um, but I think some of the drawbacks just to, you know, due to what information is available can be like what the different individual needs and differences between athletes really are and how it's directly translating to their sport. I know right now, like it's some of the, some of the, um, really great strength coaches that I know or have worked with will go as far to try to match up joint angles, try to match up, uh, or, or complements like joint loads and things like that, that they're going to experience on the bike or running. But um, just from what I've seen from looking at biomechanical data is, um, those needs can vary drastically between individuals and, um, and we only have so much time and energy to be doing supplemental exercise outside of cycling or running. Yeah. And so making the most of that time in the gym is, is valuable. And yeah, just, I mean, going in there with a, a better decision-making about time management is what really like that's what I really like about it is, you know, Oh, we only have 45 minutes today. And normally I would go through this big comprehensive thing, but like maybe we chop it down a bit and we could focus a little bit more on this area where you actually like really need hmm. uh, more focus. So in that sense, it helps individualize more. I think yeah, that's a great, yeah. great tool for coaches. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that I believe in that full heartedly. Um, I always have athletes that are coming to me being like, well, what about strength work? Um, what can I be doing? What can I be doing? And it's like, well, 
first you need to be able to like totally nail your training on the bike. Cause that if you're not doing that, then of course you shouldn't be adding in strength work as well because, um, you're just like, come on. Um, so that's, that's one side of things, but, um, is there, so we, you talked about, uh, the ability to like record or, uh, basically any sort of, are there any sort of sensors that you can kind of use while lifting to be able to, um, I don't know, I guess help record or even just help gather data points on every single time you are doing a lift. Does um, that exist? Not, uh, not really well. I can mm. say that. Okay. Um, we, you know, we, so at Leoma, we have this other application that's not the typical like type S, which has our metrics. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's called live video sync and allows you to record on an iPad, the video while wearing the sensors anywhere you want. And you just view the raw data from the sensors. And so, um, I've, I've used that a ton with lifting and strength and conditioning because you, it's, it's total freedom. You get five, yeah. um, five triaxial accelerometers. You can put them anywhere on the body. You can put them on barbells. You can put them on kettlebells and you can get, you can get that data from that. Uh, so, I've done a, I've done a lot with, with that. It's not a super, uh, cheap system, yeah. you know, and it's and definitely like raw accelerometer data is not something that a lot of people are used to looking at. It's like pretty, it's pretty new and outside of a biomechanics research lab. Um, you know, prior to me working at Leomo, I had never seen it in my life, like a raw signal from an accelerometer, you know, only usually the metrics that are derived from it. So it's not, there's a bit of a learning curve to it. Hmm. Um, so that system, is one possibility. Other than that, um, there's some uh, interesting AI that's out now hmm. where you can you can video on your phone and the AI program will process the video and it will identify the joints in your body and it'll give you joint angles and things hmm. like that. Okay. Um, and that, let's see, sorry, I dropped my guitar. <laughs> Uh, other than that, I think we're just looking at like mocap and stuff and, and to get like a full body thing. There's not a lot of full body sensors out there, which is, which is the kind of the limitation. So that, that's obviously what Liam was trying to, to change up was five sensors, multiple parts of the body, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that'd be cool if it got there. That would be, um, I imagine you're a little bit more experienced in processing that data, but yeah, as a, as a standard coach, that would be quite difficult to just have something like, okay, well the sensor's moving here, but great. Right. Yeah. Like I've got uh, a really, really, really wavy line here on the, uh, on the, on the rotational <laughs> velocity. Flat. So uh, yeah. <laughs> that uh, it's blue. It's got a lot of points on it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tricky. Um, I think I need, it's, I think I need to ask you a question cause I've been talking a ton. Um, so I'm going to, uh, we've been down this, this biomechanics, whole lot. Um, I don't want to change it too abruptly. So let's stick with data. Mm -hmm. What do you think as a coach is some of the best or most valuable and actionable data for a coach? Wow. That's a good one. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, man, to think about that one. I mean, I guess the, the one that, <clears throat> jumps off of my head um right out of the gate is power i mean that's that is uh that has revolutionized the industry um every now and then i'll have athletes that are only working with heart rate or um, rpe and there's just such a limit with when what you can touch on um there's just so many new things that you can tackle with power and there's 
so many uh, new things that are continuing to come out from it. So, um, yeah, I would say that would be the very first one that stands out. Um, honestly, and then I would say after that point, it's just the ability to track, um, the ability to see history. Um, I, uh, I'll have an athlete that I've been, you know, working with for, I don't know, six years or something like that. And your ability to recall on data is just amazing. I mean, it could be anything you could say, well, the last time you did a, uh, 12 second sprint at a thousand Watts at 10,000 feet was this. So it's like, that is such an amazing power to have as a coach. Um, and just year to year to year. And, um, I think that has been, I've really been inspired by that again this year because, um, again, because races weren't around, they, um, you kind of had to recall on different goals or, you know, athletes totally pivoted and found something else that might intrigue them. Um, and you know, or maybe you help the athlete come up with a goal. So when doing that, if you have the power of bringing about different metrics that can kind of be like, well, you did this here, let's try this. Um, so that's really cool. So I would say those are the, as far as technology and just different, uh, the ability to, to gather data and use them, um, in an actionable way that those are the two ones for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I would say those are, those are the biggest. That's really, I really like that idea of being able to track the data over time and, um, obviously power, like, yeah, so, so helpful. Um, so to build on that, then you're, uh, I know that you're really, you take your, your relationships with the athletes very seriously. Mm -hmm. And, um, so how do you, what are are your thoughts on, um, dataizing some of those interactions to like gauge things like, is this athlete happy? Is, are they, are they tired? Are they excited about training? You know, what kind of, what do you think about like the idea of like turning some of that into data and, and like how useful that is or like what are your preferred kind of methods? Yeah, I like that question because the, you know, an athlete can be flying and if they don't want to be there or if they don't want to go hard, it doesn't matter. Um, they're not going to succeed. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if we had the ability to track or really define how maybe happy somebody is or how motivated they are, or maybe in a state of mental freshness. Um, I think that would be a huge tool. Um, I personally have not figured out a good way of doing that because I'm going to be honest. And I would say probably 99% of people are really bad at truly in the moment, uh, with emotions high, physical ability under question, um, knowing how they are, um, you know, being around other people that are asking how they're doing. Like, of course, they're going to say they're they're doing great. Um, it's before their event, so uh, yeah. I mean, like, what I've found is the best tool for that is is just building out that relationship and just having a long term coaching relationship because you know, it's very common for athletes to kind of like jump from coach to coach, um, because they're always looking for instantaneous success. Um, but the problem with that, and and like, you might find that might help you get to a coach that is able to, you know, find that hidden secret that you've been looking for, but then you're missing out on just all the other relationship parts of having a coach, um, them knowing what you are dealing with in your life. Um, 
just knowing all the different things that are kind of adding up. I do wish there is a way of truly being able to put that and not just the smiley faces that are or sad faces in training peaks. I'm sorry. Right. That system's horrible. It's, um, uh, it's just good old fashioned communication. Yep. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Or self and like, that's kind of the thing, right? Like athletes hire coaches oftentimes because they are really bad at self analyzing and figuring out how to make them better. Um, so then you hire a coach, but then in this scenario, that's another example of needing to self analyze yourself. And I think that's when, um, I really like that sports psychology is becoming a bigger thing in, in the sporting world. I think that is going to unlock all sorts of different things now that that is more widely accepted. Yeah. Um, I, I really like the athletes that I have that work with sports psychologists are, they get a lot of benefit from that. And then a lot of those sports psychs are good at working with coaches. So they understand that side of things too. So that all of that, I think the more that progresses in the world of sport, the better. Yeah, for sure. Totally agree. Sports psychologists are great. Talked to a few recently and, uh, yeah, they always, it's, it's always like an awareness thing there too, where, um, you, know, you mentioned like, uh, sometimes in the heat of the moment or just in training, like, am I like, I think I'm doing well. Am I doing well? Like, I think I'm happy. I think I'm not tired. Am I, there, there can just be so much, um, there can be doubt. And, yeah. and like, to be honest, like a lot of people have just maybe never been asked that truly. Like, are you really tired right now? And like, maybe their scale is like totally different based on their experience and stuff. And so like, yeah, like it takes time to just get to know like what, what does this person really mean when they say like good or like, what do they really mean when they say they're tired? Like some people are always tired. Some people are never tired. Yeah. And you got to kind of like figure out like, what are the real signals here? So yeah, that's yeah. And that's what, and what really is good. tired? Right. And what is tired? Yeah. I mean, Cause who knows? Should I not be? I yeah. Mean, I, yeah. I did a lot. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Um, I've been, so I've been working more with juniors. I think I've mentioned this in other podcasts, but essentially one thing I noticed recently is um, when you're working with adults, you have assumptions within, uh, I guess, communications or just the ability for them to recognize certain things. So maybe the ability to recognize that they are tired or maybe the ability to recognize that other things are adding up in life. So maybe they're stressed or they're not sleeping well. I have a lot of athletes that you know will tell me when they're not sleeping well. I will not have a junior that tells me they're not sleeping well and they're, you know, they're probably maybe they're playing video games or they're on their phone. So they're only sleeping five hours, but I don't know. Cause I, um, so that's been really interesting cause it's made me as a coach. Um, and I'm guessing parents deal with this all the time. Um, it's made me step back and have to like ask very rudimentary, simple questions. Um, I asked a junior the other day, like, are you hungry? Cause it was at the end of the ride and he was totally, um, fading, which was fine. Cause it was the end of practice, but I had to ask him like, are you hungry? And he was realized in that moment that, yeah, I am hungry. Um, and that's just something that, you know, those simple things we can kind of expand on when you get to being, um, you know, maybe a, a pro athlete and you're just not able to communicate everything. Um, yeah, that's, it goes a long way. So it, it was yes. been nice to just check, like check myself and step back and, uh, I'd be like, oh, wait, maybe I need to view things differently. So that's, yeah. that's like a really good test with the juniors to like, oh, yeah. you know, really understand and like ask the right questions and right. like understand yeah. their signals and stuff. That's yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Good experience. <laughs> uh, all right. That was good. Uh, let's see. One thing. Okay. Before we move on, like, 
I just forgot something that I wanted to ask you. I saw a picture of Adam Hansen on a treadmill um, that you posted a little while back. So I was curious as to what that experiment was. Um, and Adam Hansen is a is a fairly well known cyclist, yeah. um, and he was on a on his bike on a treadmill. So I wanted to uh, I wanted to know what that was, tr- um, what the purpose of that experiment was. Sure, sure. Well, um, the short answer is that's classified. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> the long Crap. answer is well, not so much. I can talk about it. But um, so that was at the Manchester Institute of Health and Performance, cool in Manchester, UK, and. Uh, they have some super awesome facilities, and what that room was is they have a, a massive treadmill. It's like uh, at least four or five feet wide and probably 12-plus feet long, and it has a, a, a harness system. So somebody can ride a bike on it. You can set the grade, the speed, and uh, they have a harness so that like they're not going to fly off their bike or something <laughs> like that. You can take them to max or, or whatever you want to do. Um, so... I was there with Leomo and we we're meeting with some cool people there. And, um, we were looking at some, basically we were, we were using our sensors and looking at a variety of different conditions that we could achieve in a controlled position on, or a controlled environment on the treadmill, um, looking at different grades, body position for standing versus sitting, um, different speeds at different grades, and then also like making adjustments to the bike, like the saddle height hmm. and fore aft and things like that. And um, yeah, we, we were testing a lot of just different conditions. Um, it was like the coolest treadmill ever. I mean, <laughs> you, like you could it. like it could go up to like eighty kilometers per hour or more, and up to like I don't know forty percent grade. Jeez. And yeah, I mean, like I. I would have definitely fallen off of it. I'm not that good at riding bikes, but like Adam was just cruising and, uh, it was scary definitely. Yeah. Cause I'm like, Oh, like, man, don't, um, you know, don't like ruin your career on, our, on account of my <laughs> dumb experiment. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was okay and we had a lot of fun. So yeah, not, not, I mean, sorry, not super specific on, on the details, but you yeah. know, we were, we were looking at biomechanics. Yeah. That's rad. Yeah. If you, uh, if anyone wants to be a, um, exercise physiologist you can do cool stuff like that there's some really fun stuff yeah. out there man yeah that's neat that's super yeah. neat okay i'm glad i asked that um yeah. on to my real question um oh we actually already covered that man okay um and this kind of goes off of uh what I've been kind of chatting about, which is essentially how this year has been very different, which it has. Um, and hopefully everyone's not sick of hearing that, but what I've noticed in the running community and pseudo on the cycling side, but just not as much is the pursuit of FKTs. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, I'm seeing it pop up everywhere within uh, different ultra community running communities and so on. Um, we just had, a dude here set the FKT, um, from, well, actually it was, one was set from Boulder, um, to Long's Peak, running Long's Peak and then riding back. So riding to and from, um, and then also a different individual, um, set the FKT of Long's in general, um, which both were just incredibly badass, um, and amazing times. Um, but as a coach, what are the uses of FKTs uh, to coaches? Man, all the good questions today. <laughs> all the good ones. Uh, I, 
FKTs are really cool to me. I love that Buzz Burrell started the fastest known time website mm-hmm. to be able to start tracking these things. Yeah. And it seems like they've really blown up with that awareness and like a centralized location of, of tracking them. So um, definitely no surprise that it's really popular in 2020, even regardless of global pandemic. But uh, especially now, I think the biggest thing is motivation and outlook. I think the hardest thing about training is if it isn't on a discrete timeline, meaning if I don't have an endpoint directly that I am working towards a performance on, um, training can be very difficult to maintain for, you know, who knows how long. Um, so one is motivation. I think having a day in mind where you're going to complete a task at, you know, the best of your ability gives you something to stay focused on. And it gives you something to say, like, you know, also help to like give meaning to each day's workouts and things like that. So, um, I know when I have to go hard, I'm not just like just going hard to stay fit. I'm like going hard because I need to do this thing or I really want to achieve this thing. And maybe you go like a little bit harder because of that. So the motivation is really big. The other thing is maybe a little bit more on the coaching side, as far as like cycling training. Um, you know, like I, I think it's, I think there are experiences gained from an FKT going hard, accomplishing, you know, planning for it, training for it, executing it, tapering in, recovering out that just like, I feel like that just needs to happen to keep an, keep an athlete developing. Mm-hmm. You can't just train forever. You can't just train for four years and go to the Olympics. You've got to race or you've got to have some sort of focused effort, you know, periodically along the way just to bring it all together, you know, keep the training cycle, you know, keep the cycle going. So I know when I'm ramping up, what my timeline for that is and why, and then making sure I am taking like some harder efforts with some, a little bit more recovery or maybe some taper one day where I really go all in and I gain those mental benefits of, you know, giving my best on a day and having planned for it and worked out all the logistics. So Um, Those are my two big things. I would say motivation and keeping the training cycle going, like Mm -hmm. not just, not just ramping it up and then staying up and just training for a long period of time there. It can get really stale in my opinion. Yeah. The, what I've actually had some calls on this today. Um, it's a, you know, when you go into a year without events, um, you kind of think, well, all right, as a coach, I need to get my athlete doing different, uh, things to continue to progress them as an athlete. Um, but especially during, I guess, like this time of year where summer's kind of winding out, um, what's been an interesting challenge is giving them that time to stop that point where you're like, all right, this is your end date. Um, cause that is a, such a huge mental piece. Like, if you have a race that you know you're targeting, you also know that you can relax afterwards. So maybe you're like not drinking beer, you're 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 really trying to be as honed in as possible, you're focused on your recovery. That stuff all adds up. So then you want this point where you can let go or um know that it like you worked really hard for that and you can enjoy it. Um so that's been really interesting is to talk to different athletes of being like, Well, we are gonna set this date. So you can have that. Um, and I usually do try and and set some sort of thing to cap that off. And that tends to be, um, an epic ride of some sort. Um, yeah, the cycling community has the Everesting that's been big thing. Um, and that's almost our version of FKTs. Um, and yeah, we have, there's a website for that as well. Um, and yeah, it, it has been amazing that, I mean, obviously you have this 
elite pro community that can just go and smash these things. And, um, yeah, it'll take them a couple of days to recover, but it's not like they're be all end all focus. Um, and I would imagine that these FKTs that we talked about were that scenario, um, because I think they went and set more FKTs. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a really interesting point is just even just having it something to be done at, Yeah, I guess. Like you said, endpoint is so yeah. important. And I was just an interesting side note. I was, I was listening to this other podcast. It's, um, I don't want to mess up the name. It's like the neuroscience podcast or something. Okay. I don't really know, but it's pretty fun. It's cool. It's all about brain stuff. Cool. And, um, they had this episode recently called the, uh, the, the neurobiological stress of COVID-19. Hmm. And one of the main things that they said sort of like contributes to a cycle of stress is not having an endpoint for the thing that's causing you stress. And so then they were talking about, you know, pandemic is like, we don't know when this will end or when things will be truly normal. Yeah. And, um, and that's what can cause a lot of stress, like that unknowing of, oh, I just need to make it this long and then I'll be everything. I'll be good. Um, so yeah, I think like that sort of parallels the idea of like having just an event, like set an endpoint that, you know, helps you like channel your energy and your, and your stress in a little bit more of a healthy way to say like, I just need to get to here and then we'll, you know, we'll work on the next thing from there. But yeah, I just think like having an endpoint is, is like so simple, but yeah. like really important. Yeah. Hey, it just takes a pandemic to learn these things as coaches, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Um, so can I, my turn? Yes. All right. Yes. So I'm going to, um, pivot a little bit here, go a little bit, a little bit more into just cycling training specific physiology stuff. Okay. But, um, like what are your thoughts on VO2 max training for cyclists? When is it important? Kind of why do they do it the way they do? And what's your favorite workout? And I will add the, what the reason for this is I'm so intrigued in the differences in VO2 max training between running and cycling. Hmm. After I like was just getting into coaching and finding out about like micro intervals, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I would never like runners never do like 40 twenties. Yeah. You know, like, and so it was like this whole different world. I was like understanding and it's just like uh, it's a really cool difference. So, you know, that's kind of my motivation. Huh? Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you about that in a second then. Um, wow. VO2 max training. Um, <clears throat> this is kind of when your answer earlier, where it was basically, it kind of depends on the circumstance and the scenario and the outcome goal targeted. Um, same thing. Um, I would say I have really, this is another point where I've enjoyed kind of the progression of, um, just sport science and, and training in general, um, because it was kind of the old fashioned way of thinking when I first started coaching where you don't do VO two, um, until you're, you know, into race prep phase. Um, but I was actually having an, a, a, another, sorry, I make it sound like I'm just talking to athletes all day, which I kind of am. But, um, basically I had a conversation with an athlete earlier where he's having a kid and, um, we decided to change his training to the point where he is doing, um, a, you know, not a huge amount of VO2 um, to really work his system, but a basically he's going to be doing VO2 year round. Um, and there are phases of that, of course, but I find it hugely powerful. I think one, it uh, serves multiple purges, purposes physiologically, um, 
So one recruitment two, um, just holistically as an athlete, you can target multiple things. Um, so, and then pairing as well. So you can pair it with strength lifting, um, or off the bike work. Um, it gets huge reward for very little time. Um, so if you are in a race development phase, so if you're, um, you're honing in, you're kind of in your build phases, um, it just puts you so much farther forward. Um, and it can do it very quickly. Uh, that said, the fatigue from it is obviously very immense, um, because you are doing maximum work. So, and then I think that my biggest thing is I tend to just juggle mentally where an athlete's at to give them that because you can, really can't give an athlete five VO two sets a week, um, or sessions a week and expect them to be able to hold that, um, both physically and mentally. Um, so one, I guess I, my answer is I see it really important. Um, I personally, uh, do incorporate, I guess, a, a decent amount of what's called reverse periodization. Um, I have there, but that is of course a time and place for that. Um, the, and then, you know, also you can get into the weeds of like, all right, doing freestyle VO2. So okay, having them do group rides or, um, group sessions where they're kind of pushed by their friends. And in that way, you're able to kind of like extrapolate how much VO2 and in what form they're able to get it. But eventually you do need to have them do targeted stuff to really see adaptations made in a particular way. Um, so, and then I guess like my favorite workout, I mean, I will say the, uh, I'm a big fan of the, the very old school 30, 30, which is essentially 30 seconds on 30 seconds off. I think there is a lot of both, uh, one, you're, you're very much in targeting your VO two. You're getting a lot of bang for your buck out of that, but it's also a huge mental piece. Um, you are training your body to dig over and over and over again. Um, and what I found interesting on, in the coaching side a lot lately is that, uh, between training peaks, workout builder, um, between, you know, power, um, and just every device of being able to track exactly what your, uh, workload is or how much output you're producing. People hate to not have a target. So if you tell somebody, I actually want you to ignore your power meter and just go as hard as you can. And please don't worry about the fact that your you know, your last 30 second effort might be a hundred Watts. Like I'm cool with that. Um, and then kind of tracking that progression. It does take a little while for athletes to kind of like push through that and not have something to target. Um, but yeah, I think it's super powerful in that way. Um, so I'm a big fan of that one. I would say personally, um, as a coach and the ability to kind of track improvement, I really like kind of that longer range VO two effort horribly painful as an athlete. I hated the doing them. Um, so again, time and place, you can't be doing these every day, but, um, you know, anywhere from the, I guess, three minute to eight minute range. Ouch. Yeah. The, I mean, when you're getting into four minute all out, I mean, you're looking at basically kilo, uh, and above kilo to pursuit, um, for track riders. Uh, they are one of the most excruciating events. It's like, you know, it's like the 400 and, um, the kilo and yeah, it's just, it, it is such an horrible, horrible, uh, event. Um, 
because it's just it's basically you're going as hard as you can but then you're continuing to go harder um and it's like right on that verge of needing to pace yourself uh and, and being able to push through that and i think that that is such a fascinating window to me because uh you can really see somebody push that and push through and yeah, I love that window. That's yeah. a video, but you can't you can't make an athlete do that very often, right? Because <laughs> they'll hate you. I've been uh, like totally turned on to track cycling. Hmm. Where, I mean, this from a person who hasn't historically been a cyclist, so yeah, like yeah. it's like kind of was like new and cool. Yeah, um, man, I love watching the sprinters and just the variety of events and stuff. I was like, for a while there, I wanted to be. I was like, if I start taking cycling seriously, I'm going to be a Kilo rider. <laughs> oh, know? Like, no. I just want to hurt like that. Uh, but it's so cool to watch those guys yeah. just absolutely crank and, and go deeper than like, I, it, I can't imagine a ton of other sport equivalent efforts that are like just going that deep by yourself. Yeah. Solo is man. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, some of the Kilo riders, their ability to just handle just massive vo2 and lactate loads is just so impressive yeah um yeah team pursuit gets there too because it's a little bit of that on off nature but holy man that's like yeah it's a hurt locker (laughs) it's an it's an but it's hard not to be inspired when you're out there next to them because you're not doing the effort so yeah Yeah. (laughs) and they look really fast so that helps too but yeah i think vo2 is um and especially coming from kind of an endurance, you know, it's a true endurance sport. So it's, uh, it is something that I think still to this day gets overlooked, um, on multiple aspects. So like even the top, uh, tier of the sport probably spends not a ton of time working on it. Um, but I, I think that the world of sports coaching has been kind of shifting into, um, you know, time crunched athletes, how to really progress them when they only have a certain amount of time to give, um, and where they can definitely benefit and boosting out that ceiling has shown to be really good. So. Yeah. That's really good point about the time crunched athlete nowadays. And I think we've like seen this, uh, or at least I have this with like Tabata catching, mm-hmm. catching some fire mm-hmm. and you know, like the nineties and stuff, this yeah. whole like idea of bigger bang for your buck and the amount of time you have is shifted a lot of that stuff. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of more, a lot more, uh, full-time job type of athletes who are cranking the high intensity mm-hmm. intervals a little more often, maybe. Yeah. It's, uh, I've had, I know I brought this up earlier, but I have had a couple of athletes that are new parents. So they're trying to figure out how to, uh, basically be a, a parent full-time do their job full time and then also um still give themselves some time and how to best manipulate that and uh maybe we do need to let go of those just three hour riding uh windows and you might need to wake up at five and do some trainer time uh yeah yeah Ooh, path of life it's a different world that i'm not yet familiar with yeah but, I don't, um <laughs> you know, i gotta value my training time now yep That's exactly <laughs> we almost should um all right uh let's see i think this is is it me or you oh, I, I might have already asked you all my questions because okay um we, i feel like we covered a lot we, we have got onto some tangents this, this um, has been a solid ones. session uh do you have another question um 
I, I would say my closing question is what is the craziest workout that you have seen an athlete complete? Oh, what a good Any question, sports? man. What a good question. Oh, that's such a good one. Um, Ooh, I did. <laughs> oh, that's, that's going to take me a little bit. I'll go first. Okay. All right. All right so I've got one in mind. Um, <clears throat> I was working with an OCR racer, okay. obstacle course racer Yeah, cool. in the past. Uh, it was probably, I don't know, two years ago Okay. and, um, super elite, apparently, you know, this was kind of like a new thing to me, obstacle course racing. I was like, what are the, you know, what's really going on there? And he was like this super strong guy and he was coming to me and he was like, you know, the guys who are really winning this are like, are running like super fast five Ks and they can deadlift like 400 pounds, 500 right. pounds. So, um, he was like, I got, I need to like be like a, a strong runner and also be able to do all this insane other stuff. And, um, I'll drop it. He's, he was like, uh, he was going to like the world championships and stuff. And he was, uh, super fit athlete, real bang up character. His name is Dylan Miraglia dropping his name. Sorry, Dylan, but, um, <laughs> super cool guy. Really, really awesome to work with. Probably the strongest, fastest, you know, like combination of those two person I've ever seen. Like, um, I think now he's like trying to, um, run a sub five minute mile and deadlift 500 pounds, like wow. in the same day, <laughs> which is wild. But, um, so given like the strength and the durability, um, these guys could just tolerate like the most insane workouts ever. And so, um, we were training for what was called TMX tough mutter X, hmm. which was actually like in obstacle course racing. There's like a lot of prize money. Like yeah, there's, I've, you can be a professional, you can, I mean, it's a really good thing to get into. And so a lot of these guys are very serious about it. And the TMX is a one mile course and there's essentially like, um, four obstacles in a row. And then you have a running portion, like 400 meters, four obstacles in a row. And then like 400 meters. And, uh, so it's like, it's this really, really high intensity. It's maybe 10 minute race. So like kind of like the worst duration imaginable because you're so high intensity for that, you know, for like the longest period you could really do that. And, uh, so one of the key, like final workouts that we did, we started off just like running a lot, doing the running workouts. And then towards the, as he was getting closer to like the national champs and the world champs, it was more of like this, you know, just like specific, like he, he would like rip four hundreds and do like the op, do obstacles and stuff in between. He would like take exercise equipment to the track. Um, and so we got into like some really crazy, like anaerobic sets and like wow. full depletions, like six hundreds max and stuff. Uh, so one of the final workouts that he did before, I think it was like worlds was, um, I don't know. I don't remember exactly the details, but he called it, we called it the vandalizer and it, it, <laughs> it involved, uh, it involved like six times hundred meter sprints followed by like, uh, obstacles essentially like throwing like a hundred pound sandbag over your shoulder or jumping over boxes and stuff. And then in the middle portion, it was doing a 600 meter, essentially max efforts separated by like act like pretty active recoveries doing other exercises and stuff and then back into another set of like um max sprints of varying distances and and whatnot and i remember putting that into training peaks and thinking like oh man this is i this seem this is i mean based on everything that we've done in the past like i know this is the right thing to do right now but I, like no, I've never known another person in my life who could complete this as it's prescribed. And he did it like 
I was expecting a call afterwards to be like, Oh dude, I'm broken. Like, Oh, what did you like? That was insane. And, uh, no, like I just talked to him and he was like, Oh yeah, man, that was solid. Good workout. <laughs> I was just like, what? <laughs> so yeah, those guys, and that's, they're another breed of, of athlete for sure. I'm just so impressed by those, uh, athletes that do that and like CrossFit and different, uh, sporting realms like that. They go max so often, like every day, like they wake up and yeah. they are to their limit, uh, like wanting to lay on the floor. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's definitely some stuff to be said about, about that, uh, uh yeah. intensity distribution, but, um, right, right. but the ones who do it well, they, they definitely do it well and yeah. they're fit athletes. Yeah. Man, just the mental side of that though. Jeez. Yeah. Ooh. Um, so I think I've had to answer, I guess your question, I've had a lot of athletes that I've definitely pushed to the point where I didn't expect them to go or be able to go, which is always a phenomenal feeling as a coach and as an athlete too. Um, but just because it's top of mind, um, just because of recent experiences or events, um, the had an athlete a while back, um, that, uh, got diagnosed with cancer and they, uh, this was in St. Louis and they, needed to maintain some sort of normalcy and to they wanted to uh, use training as a, a way of maintaining strength and feeling strong um so i would say that some of the workouts that i saw him complete and it didn't matter really what the you know if was or what the power was or what um, just to see him get through that and get through chemo at the same time was a like very empowering thing. And I think that those moments, um, get, you know, swept under the rug sometimes within pro athletes with what they're able to push through. But, you know, sometimes it's just the simplest person, um, conquering life that is pretty freaking phenomenal. So, yeah, yeah I would say yeah. that would be my answer. I love that. That's yeah. so awesome. Cra yeah. Craziest workout is relative. Right. Completely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's a great point. Sometimes that's that can be a little bit lost, but right. that's a real triumph. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. And he's awesome. He's doing great. Um, yeah. So it's people can succeed nice. even in this crazy world. But all right. Dang. That was you had some great questions. So thank you. And thank you for joining me. Um, yeah. Thank you. Those were Awesome questions from you. Great discussion. Love the recording studio again. <laughs> Great beer from Ryan Geist. All around, 10 out of 10. Sick. Perfect. Oh, uh, man. Okay. Joseph, how do they? How does everyone find you? How do they find your photo of Adam Hansen on a treadmill? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at joseph.cavaretta, C-A-V-A-R-R-E-T-T-A. -T -T -A. Uh, Facebook, Flatirons Endurance is my coaching company. I, I do have a Facebook page for that. can direct you in some more directions with the email and everything on there. So cool. yeah, feel free to reach out. Sweet. Thank you. Um, all right. I hope everyone enjoyed our conversation. This is another long one that I might be splitting up into two parts. Um, but that's fine by me. I don't, um, basically I'm like just trying to let these conversations be dynamic so they can be what they'll be. Um, but yeah, let us know what you're thinking. Um, find us on Instagram at training edge pod. Um, 
and you know let us know you know if you have coaches in mind that you'd like to have me talk to um or if you have topics that you would love for us to discuss because i just show up to these things with questions um and yeah i mean i'm, I'm kind of hoping that i can expand on this i might have more than one coach join me that would be kind of fun um but yeah till next episode um everyone have a wonderful wonderful week or month and um yeah keep finding your edge